Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. You had this really strong belief that the aliens were going to come and, and whisk you away on their UFOs. And then there's the reality of that not happening. So some of the members of this, this cult resolve that dissonance by stopping their beliefs, like by, by saying, all right, well, we were wrong. And after a while, I guess what I was doing was started to make excuses. So even as a loyal customer, oh, well, this didn't work very good because of that. And then that didn't work. But eventually it got to the point where I thought, they're just not very good. One of the ways of reducing these conflicts is to align our behavior with our beliefs, right? Or to update our beliefs to be consistent with what we see out in the world. Don't forget to download the one-page podcast summary, which highlights the key takeaways and the recommended actions. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. We hope it's of use. So Colin, one of the things that you and I have talked about several times on the podcast is your love for the Lutontown Football Club. Yes? Absolutely. Best team in the world. How football should be played. Good. And other naive statements like that. Let's hold in mind that statement you just made. Luton Town Football Club is, in fact, the best team in the world. Yep. And plays football the way football should be played. And then now, for those who have never heard of the Luton Town Football Club, could you give me an honest assessment of how they are as a team, historically? Do I have to really? Yes, yes, you do. In the name of science, <laughs> we need this. We're you going mean to object- extract mean this from you. <laughs> so there are four tiers of football in the English football leagues, basically. With the Premiership being the at the top and Championship next, League One, League Two. My honest assessment is we are naturally a League One team. So in other words, we're actually in the championship, which is in the second tier at the moment. But actually, I really believe we're sort of a League One team, which is the third tier of other football leagues. So they're they're doing well by historical standards now. We are. But that also means that there's a history of them doing poorly. Oh, yes. Yes. So we actually went down from the premiership down to the championship, down to League One, down to League Two. And actually, we <laughs> dropped out of professional football league. For a while, they were playing high school clubs? Well, we, we were playing what they call semi-professional teams. <laughs> oh, so geez. somebody was a postman in the morning <laughs> and then turned up and <laughs> played in the afternoon. So This is perfect. This is exactly what I wanted to get out of you, Colin. I'm giving you too much information here, aren't I? We all, as listeners, just enjoy relishing in your pain. There was that aspect of it, I'm not going to lie. But you just described exactly what we're going to talk about today is a psychological phenomenon. You simultaneously hold two contradictory beliefs about Luton Football Club, which is that they are the best team and that they're great and you love them, while you also, after some peeling buried deep down in your psyche, you also know that they're not very good. 
this is a common phenomenon for everybody who's not like a fan of the New England Patriots. Everybody has to cope with this. Who's a fan of, of sports <laughs> where you, yes. you love your team and you think they're the best and hope springs eternal. At the same time, you know that they're terrible. Should we talk about the Cleveland Browns? No, no. I'm in charge of this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I just want to get my own back a bit. That's all. <laughs> I'm asking the questions here, sir. <laughs> Do you want to tell people about the fact that you started to watch get an NFL package to watch the Cleveland Browns and then decided that you didn't want to watch them anymore? Well, I mean, that that's the story, yes. <laughs> Colin and I bonded over Luton Town Football Club because I, I experienced the American version of that, which is that I'm a fan of the Cleveland Browns, the most benighted <laughs> team in the history of sport. Yeah, I grew up in Cleveland and then moved away and so couldn't watch Browns games because no, nobody's putting Browns games on in Phoenix, Arizona. They're not going to broadcast that. I couldn't watch the games for years and years and years. I got my first job as a professor and, and was making enough money that I could buy the the upgraded cable package to actually watch any of the teams. And I watched during the free preview weekends where they lost horribly. And it was so painful that I said, why would I pay to do this to myself. And so I didn't, yep. didn't buy it. Yep. Welcome to my world. That's the point is a lot of people experience this and it causes discomfort. Like there's, there's some way where if, if you and I could just reconcile ourselves to the fact that our teams are awful and will always be awful. And that's just the way it is. It would relieve some kind of psychic tension but we do, we hold these contradictory beliefs and that's what we're gonna talk about today. This is what psychologists call cognitive dissonance. And it's the idea that we, we can hold to beliefs or to desires or a belief and an action that are in contrast to each other. And when they conflict, it causes discomfort and we need to resolve that in some way. So is this like, I always remember going to, I think it was Austin in Texas, and this guy from a oil company picked me up to take me in. I think I was doing a speech or something. On the journey in, he was telling me about how environmentally friendly he was. This oil company employee. And he was driving the biggest truck you could ever have in your life. The words and the actions sort of didn't match, basically. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. There are several ways of kind of resolving that tension. I mean, we should point out, like, it's it's overtly funny for somebody to claim to be an environmentalist while working for an oil company and, and driving a huge truck. That, that's funny. But we all do some version of this. There are just conflicts that abound all the time in us. And so figuring out how people resolve these conflicts is actually really important because they're just so common. They happen all the time. So one of the ways of reducing these conflicts is to align our behavior with our beliefs, right? Or to update our beliefs to be consistent with what we see out in the world. So if your friend had gone, or this person that you met had gone, you know, I'm, I'm an environmentalist. And so I sold my truck and I stopped working for the oil company and I went and worked for Greenpeace now, then that would have resolved that dissonance and they would have felt more comfortable 
psychologically? It's interesting because my daughter-in-law does work. She's a psychologist. Do you notice that she takes a lot of notes when she talks to you? <laughs> when she's over for yeah. Sunday dinner? Yeah, she does. Yeah, she, she takes a hell of a lot of notes and tuts a lot as well. Yeah, she's going to write a book and uh, you're going to help pay for her <laughs> retirement, Colin. But one of the things she was talking about, they, this company had done a video and I was looking at it yesterday. And one of the things it was talking about was to sort of set the purpose of, so rather than set a goal to say, I want to achieve this by the time I'm 40 or whatever it may be, career goal, et cetera. Instead of talking about that, say to set yourself a target of, or not a target, but I want to be kind or I want to have integrity or whatever it may be. Yeah. I'm not knocking that whatsoever. But I guess it made me think is there is a danger that you think to yourself, what I want to be is kind, but actually you're not a kind person. It could be this sort of cognitive dissonance of going, I'd like to be kind, but I'm not. (laughs) I'm convincing myself I want to be kind, but actually I don't do kind things because I just don't think about people that way and I'm not naturally a kind person or something like that. Does that make sense? Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I mean, this is a major source of cognitive dissonance where we often just don't live up to our own expectations of ourselves or or our own core beliefs. I mean, nobody's kind all the time. And yet most of us have that as to the point we were raising before where everybody's experienced this. This this is really, really common. So we need to figure out how do people resolve these things. And there are like the easy ways of doing it, which is to just be more kind, right? That would be one way of resolving this. That also wouldn't be much of a theory. There wouldn't be much excitement there. So psychologists have gotten more interested in in kind of the dysfunctional ways that we <laughs> resolve this conflict because that's where it gets a little bit more interesting. Let me back up a little bit and explain where this came from. The major proponent, the major developer of cognitive dissonance theory is this guy named uh, Leon Festinger, I was a psychologist back in the the 40s and 50s. Most psychologists, as you know, they run experiments. They look at at things across conditions. And Festinger did that. But he also did some, sounds like straight up anthropology work. He and some colleagues found a UFO cult. So this is a a group of people who had this leader who thought that she was receiving messages from aliens. It was a doomsday cult. They believed that. I don't think they thought the world would end, but they thought that that believers would be like transported up into these UFOs on a specific date. So this is a very specific prediction. And there was this small group, small cults who decided this was true. And so they were all in. A lot of them left their spouses. They sold all their, their possessions. And on the day of, they went out to some field in rural Illinois and waited for the rapture. They waited for these UFOs to take them away. Spoiler alert, didn't happen. And oh. the world the world didn't end. I know, I know, I'm sorry to... I, I didn't, I, I was going to ask where to go. Yeah, yeah, you, uh, you're ready to put your money on, on the group. So the psychologist then got to observe what happened afterwards. So this, this is a major source of dissonance, which is where what caused Festinger to develop his theory eventually. You had this really strong belief that the aliens were going to come and, and whisk you away on their UFOs. And then there's the reality of that not happening. So some of the members of this, this cult resolved that dissonance by stopping their beliefs. 
like by, by saying, all right, well, we were wrong, right? That's not going to happen. I'm going to leave this group. I'm going to try to rebuild my life and move on. But what was interesting is there was another group that resolved the distance by going even harder in the direction of that belief. So they started proselytizing for this group. Um, they started trying to get new members. And the, the argument was that if they could believe hard enough, then maybe that would would make it true. And I, I found out as I was researching for this episode, that group is apparently still around 50, 70 years later. It could have been as simple as the aliens were late. They'd had a lot to do. They'd been down the shops, something, they'd had a flat tire, and they just didn't turn up when they were meant to. So I know you're kidding, but what you're doing right now <laughs> is something that we do ourselves to ourselves. Where Because another way of resolving the dissonance is to explain it away, to minimize it, is, is the way that yeah. psychologists call it. Which is, yeah, you don't want to stop believing, right? You have this belief that you want, and it's up against the reality that is conflicting with it. And so you explain it away. Aliens absolutely could have had their UFO break down outside of Saturn. <laughs> and have you ever tried to get towing service on the weekend? It takes forever. So Yeah. Or they're in a different dimension and they just happen to go to the next dimension, not realizing. To be fair, I think that's what happens with Luton Football Club too. It, in another dimension, <laughs> they are killing it in the Premier League. <laughs> this dimension, not so much. But I mean, so this is it exactly. We should objectively like just give up on false beliefs. But if you look around the world, people just don't give up on false beliefs and they oftentimes double down. Let me try and pull this into customer experience then for a moment. I mean, I talked about UFO cults. I think that the, the parallels <laughs> there are pretty yeah. obvious, Colin. But if you want to spell it out, go ahead. I'm sure the listener can easily make that transition. Exactly. Yeah. So you know how much I love Apple, okay? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of cults. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, speaking of cults, precisely. But I used to have the same fondness for Sony. So, it, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, everything I bought was Sony, whether it was a computer, whether it was a Walkman back in those days, whatever it was, it was Sony because that was, I guess, the sort of equivalent brand back then. Yeah, I could see there that. was a certain sort of design, and the thing I've always struggled with Sony is is just the the usability of it. And after a while, I guess what I was doing was started to make excuses. So even as a loyal customer, oh well, this didn't work very good because of that, and then that didn't work. But eventually, it got to the point where I thought they're just not very good anymore. And so I guess the point I'm I'm making is it it's making hopefully reinforcing your point of going. So even your most loyal customers, eventually, if you start to decline, will whilst they may defend you to start off with, eventually they're going to turn around and go, nah, they're just not as good as they used to be. Yes, absolutely. I think that this, this raises a couple of interesting and important points when we talk about cognitive dissonance. It, objectively, if we were all adding machines, if we were all robots, then your first disappointing experience with a brand that you're loyal to should then reduce your evaluation of the brand. There would just be this kind of linear mapping where every good experience increases your, your evaluation, every negative experience decreases it. But cognitive dissonance suggests that there's going to be some stickiness there where we want to hold on to our beliefs. And so we will explain away bad experiences if we're loyal to the brand or minimize them, say, well, you know, it's not that bad or 
it would have been even worse if I'd gone with another brand instead. But at some point, a lot of these cult members did leave the cult after the aliens didn't come. So there, there's some point of, of evidence where you're going to get a lot of people switching. Now, here's where it comes back to bite you then. Another form of, of dissonance reduction is that once you have flipped those beliefs, you can then adjust your memories of your own opinions, right? Because now your belief is that Sony is not very good. I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth here, but let's suppose that you, you decided Sony's just not as good as I thought it was. You can then now revise that and go, you know, I was never as enthusiastic about Sony as I maybe thought that I was, you know, deep down I knew. And so that is also a form of dissonance reduction. You're trying to get things to line up in your head. Training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions. Beyond Philosophy's unique and proven training methodology, Memory Maker Training. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. As we often talk about on these podcasts, there's never one thing happening. It starts to make me think just based on your, what you're saying is there's an element of confirmation bias that's going, I have this view, therefore I'm going to look out for the things that confirm my, my view, even though that may be wrong. The other thing that was then going through my mind was then just the intuitive system and the part of the brain that's automatic that looks for patterns. So you go, I've got this little bit, that was bad, that was bad, that was bad, that was bad. Yeah, actually, they're not as good as they used to be because I've now associated, being the keyword, all these things together that has now made me realize that my judgment was wrong before. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So remember that people, you know, as you're trying to, to use this and apply it, remember that people will, this desire to reduce dissonance is pretty universal. We all, we all want to reduce cognitive dissonance, but there are lots of different ways to do it. And, you know, there will be this, this hardcore group of people who will just kind of never change their behavior. And it doesn't matter how many bad experiences they have, they will continue to be all in. They'll be this like hyper enthusiast. But for the vast majority, they will resolve that dissonance in some other way. And a lot of times it will be exactly what we talked about, which is abandoning the brand. And in some cases, even then turning against the brand, because that's the way that they're going to resolve dissonance. And whilst we won't get political on this, I guess where we're going through at the moment is a classic example of that. Yes. I mean, I, we can come up with examples on the left and the right, the conservative, the progressive, but everybody does this. And when a lot of political hypocrisy, where you can say, well, this politician took exactly the opposite stand six years ago when their party was in power, and now they're saying the opposite, a lot of this is this dissonance reduction where there's this thing that we really want. And so we're going to align our beliefs with that. These politicians are going to align their beliefs to be consistent with what they want at the moment, as opposed to adhering to some more broader characteristics. And I guess from a, again, from a company customer experience perspective, there's a couple of examples I, I would give. One is you mentioned the brand before. Okay. What I see is a lot of organizations come up with these great brand statements, great adverts on TV. And the reality is, is when you interact with them, they're very different. They're trying to create this image of being absolutely wonderful and very customer focused, but they're not. 
So that's sort of, I guess, uh, uh, as an example of cognitive dissonance in an, in an organization. I mean, what's interesting with that example is these organizations a lot of times intentionally generate cognitive dissonance, right? So if, you, if your company has terrible customer experience and management doesn't incentivize change, they don't provide system changes and they don't try to change the culture and they don't try to reward people who are doing things differently. And instead they just release a statement saying, no, no, we are this thing that we're not. No, no, we, we are great at customer service. Then what they're doing is they're forcing dissonance onto their employees. And their employees are going to have to deal with that in some way. So they're going to either try to fool themselves and say, no, 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 what we're doing now is in fact great customer experience. Or they'll minimize and say, well, it, it could be a lot worse. And some of them will just break. They'll say, you know, I can't stand this hypocrisy. I'm going to leave. I hate myself because of, of what I'm doing. The point that you're raising, though, is that whatever torture the employees are going through there's going to create a large disconnect between what the customers are going through who are actually just looking for a good experience. Yeah, there's there's actually, when you think about it, there's just so much material here, isn't there, in the sense of just from a leadership perspective. You know, if, you're, if your bosses are turning around and saying, we want to be like this or this is the culture that we want, but then they're not supporting it in what they're doing, it just becomes an uncomfortable place to work, doesn't it? I guarantee all of our listeners have experienced this. This is very, very common. Yeah. If you think about it then from that, again, from that employee perspective, they don't really know what to do. They're getting one message that they should. In fact, I, I remember working for an organization. This was when I was back in corporate life and who had six values of which the organization created and at great expense then rolled out across the organization. And by rolled out, I assume you mean painted on a wall and handed yeah, yeah, out pages. Absolutely. Therein lies my point. So we actually went on like a half day training course. We we had this. It was, you know, notebooks, it was up on posters. It was and I always remember the first one was we put customers first. Mm -hmm. And they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And no way in hell did they do that. And and, and every time and I remember literally going through on different occasions to talk to my boss and go to various committees to get money and various different things to improve the experience. And I would go, value one is we put customers first. Oh, yeah, but not in this circumstance. And this is, is another strategy that we didn't name explicitly, but these kind of carve-outs is another way of dealing with cognitive dissonance. Like, yes, I am a kind person. I mean, in this one specific instance, I obviously wasn't kind because there's other reasons. We are a customer-centric organization. I mean, obviously, in this one case, we had to do something different. But I guess if you then looked at it from a customer perspective, and people that are regular listeners to the podcast will know that there's a big difference between what customers say and what customers do. The danger is, is that you could, going back to the, the guy that picked me up at the airport, who's saying he's potentially going into a car sales showroom, going, I want an environmentally friendly car. And they're showing him all the environmentally friendly cars, but actually he doesn't really want that. You know, what, what he wants is a gas guzzler or the motivations, I don't know whether it was a big truck or whatever. But I guess the point again becomes there's a difference between what, customers may tell you and what actually that they want. Yes, absolutely. 
another way to think about it is that this this guy had these conflicting desires, right? So I assume, let's assume the best about him, that he wasn't just lying to you. Let's assume that he genuinely wanted to be environmentally friendly. He also genuinely wanted a big truck. I mean, it's it's hard in Texas to not have a big truck. Yeah, no, that's a good point because of social pressures and yeah, everything absolutely. else. And, 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 you know, maybe some utilitarian reasons too. That, you know, occasionally he might have needed to carry around big stuff. Again, let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt there. But so it's it's very common to have these values, these desires that are in conflict. And that causes dissonance. Let's go to our usual question at this point, which is, so what? So what does this mean? Great theory, but what does this mean that people should do? It is a great theory, isn't it? I mean, that's, maybe <laughs> we should just kind of bask in that for a minute. So I think the first thing is, don't be supporters of Luton Town or the Cleveland Browns. There's the first bit of practical advice. For your own mental health and well-being, don't do that. Second thing, do not wait for aliens. <laughs> <laughs> they are notoriously on their own schedule. <laughs> They're notoriously unreliable. Unreliable. <laughs> For me, one big takeaway is that dissonance is everywhere. I am a, a research scientist. I, I run experiments mostly around choice and judgment, and then I try to get these published in peer-reviewed journals. And the, the most infuriating comment to get back in a peer review is when they say, isn't this just cognitive dissonance? So that their job as reviewers is to try to come up with alternative explanations for, for my findings. And it's so hard when they say that because the answer is almost always yes. Like, like so much theory resolves itself back to being cognitive dissonance. I mean, we've had episodes on self-perception theory, on motivated cognition. You've raised a couple of theories that this is similar to. So cognitive dissonance, you can think of as, as kind of this umbrella theory that has a lot of more specific things to it. So this is everywhere. So step one is just look for it. So recognize that this is a thing. Step two, in terms of practical applications, recognize that dissonance is uncomfortable for people. So if you are in a leadership role, then for people under you, don't try to make force dissonance on them, right? Try to look for ways of resolving it. For customer-facing roles, recognize that your customers are often dealing with this. You know, you raised the question about how this guy from from Texas would act in his, his car showroom when he's considering buying a truck. If the salesperson was kind, they would have pointed out all of the environmentally friendly features of that truck, or they would have helped him understand the importance of his other desire of needing the truck so he could haul things around or so that it was safer, whatever it was. Help your customers resolve the dissonance because that will make them feel a lot better. This dissonance is uncomfortable. And then the third one is look out for the common dissonance reduction strategies that your customers and employees and you yourself will use. There's this minimization. We didn't talk about it, but humor can be one way of resolving dissonance, right? If we can kind of laugh off the, the conflict, then that, that eases this, this dissonance. Carving out exceptions is another dissonance reduction strategy. So look for these and anticipate them. 
And I would add to that, and it's ironic because we're going to be recording shortly a podcast on culture. So two things. That's not ironic, Colin. That is just good <laughs> planning from us. <laughs> it is. Yeah, There's there's got to be a first. The internal side of things is key. Recognize that if you're setting yourself goals of in, in the customer experience space, you want customers to trust you, to feel cared for, and you're not actually following it through, then that's going to cause employees a problem. So again, that sort of dissonance there. But the other part for me is from a customer perspective, we've said it many times, but I'm going to make no apologies for repeating it. What customers tell you, what they do and what they really want can be different. And sometimes they don't even know themselves. So you've got to get under the skin of what customers are really thinking rather than just take it at a a surface level. But recognize in your customers and therefore in the design of your experience that that dissonance may be taking place and could be the reasons for their actions and for conflicts or even customer complaints on something because of that dissonance. So I hope that's been of use to people today. If it has been, it would be really good if we could ask you to do a review of of how we're doing. Just go on to Apple or wherever you're getting your podcasts from and give us a review. That would be really good. People who love the podcast and are not writing reviews, that's causing dissonance and discomfort. So we're, we're helping you. We're helping you. If you align your behaviors with your desires. Yeah. Yeah. As long as there are any positive, though. Because, yes. you know, I, I don't like bad ones. But <laughs> that's <laughs> dissonance for us. Yeah. No, but I'm, I'm genuinely only joking, actually, because I, I was just doing a video, actually, for a, another company. Customer complaints and things that go wrong a free marketing so if we're doing something that you think we can improve upon then tell us that would be really good so we know because otherwise we don't know so thanks very much and we look forward to talking to you next week cheers this has been the intuitive customer with colin shaw and professor ryan hamilton but it doesn't end here Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.